future, talk radio will actually educate, inspire, and make you think. The future is now. Topics and music that affect your life from Universal Broadcasting Network. Tune in at ubnradio.com. She's passionate about telling stories of amazing women who are rocking the world and empowering women to live, love, and thrive. Here's your host, Katherine Gray. Hi, and welcome to Live, Love, Thrive Women's Empowerment Hour, brought to you by 360karma.com. Well, as you know, every week we have incredible women, and I just want to mention that next week we're going to have Catherine Curry-Williams, who started uh, Shane's Inspiration, as well as Wine, Women, and Chocolate. You will not want to miss her, as well as Lisa Garr, who is an author and a radio host of a program called um, The Aware Show. Uh, so if you don't want to miss any of these, feel free to subscribe to us on YouTube and follow us. You'll get them automatically, or you can follow us on Live, Love, Thrive on your iTunes or uh, your iHeartRadio. So today we have the CEO of Outward Media. Uh, her name is Paula Chichachi, and we can't wait to talk to her later in the show. But first up, we have the author of Girl in Traffic. Please give a warm welcome to Mamta Valderrama. Hi, Mamta. How are you? Hi. Thank you for having me. You bet. You bet. Uh, so happy to, to finally meet you in person. Likewise. Uh, yeah. We have had such interesting conversations over the phone. And um, your story is just amazing. And I, I want to get to how and why you wrote this book about uh, the organ trafficking, because I think it's something so important to educate our audience on. I agree. And where it's headed and how we can stop it and, and what it is. You know, some people I, uh, might not even be aware of medical tourism and and uh, and organ trafficking, but we're going to tell them about it. But first, I want to talk about uh, what an extraordinary path uh, for you as a young lady coming from parents that were directly from India mm -hmm. and uh, their cultural practices and how that affected your life. So your parents moved here uh, from India, like you said, so many typical stories with like $20 in their pocket, Correct. right? But your dad was uh, actually... Um, one of the first uh, employees of the FedEx Corporation, right? Right. He was wow. an early employee of Federal yeah. Express. But when my parents immigrated here in the mid-70s, they came as graduate students. They oh. uh, they landed in Florida. They're Florida Gators. Yeah, yeah, like, that's right. That's what we have in common. I'm a Go Gators. Go Gators. I'm a Florida Gator. So they, they came here to do graduate studies. Mm -hmm. And from there, my dad did lots of different types of jobs, you know, mm -hmm. just trying to make ends meet. Sure. And that's usually how it starts out. I mean, when you're an immigrant, you don't, you know, sp you speak the language so well and, you know, you don't have any contacts. Of course, you take job to job. But then he was fortunate enough to to land this position. Yeah. Huh? So my dad is an engineer mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, through lots of different channels and avenues ended up in Memphis, Tennessee, where Federal Express is based. Right. And yeah, that that's really that must have really been odd being. Indian uh, background being in Tennessee. You know, yeah. I, I ended up moving right? to Southern California when I was four, so I don't remember oh, Tennessee very much. Oh, I see. Okay. But my older brother uh, definitely has memories and stories of being a misfit. Yeah, uh, I can imagine. I mean, even in even today, that might be tough. So I can't even imagine back then. So you know, I had yeah. I had the fortune of going back a couple years ago, yeah. and it was it's a great little Indian community there. My parents are still oh, connected really? to their friends, and oh, 
I would never have known that. So there's an Indian community in Tennessee, in what what city? So in Memphis. In Memphis. And, and I've been to Memphis. Yeah. And I was not aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went there to, you know, see, uh, you know, where uh, Martin Luther King spent his last days mm-hmm. and stuff. And, uh, yeah, great barbecue. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. That's what I've heard. We're yeah. vegetarian. Oh, but... right. Okay. Sorry <laughs> yeah. about that. That's okay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so my dad Great was... baked beans. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. My dad was an early employee of FedEx and then ended up getting recruited by a competitor to FedEx, which oh. was based in Newport Beach. Oh, and, and that's what brought you out here? That's what brought us out here and how we ended up uh, being in Southern California. Oh, how fortunate, right? Yes. Yeah. We, um, as much as we love Tennessee. Yes. Yeah. I'm, California I'm very proud rocks. Californian. Oh, yeah. So uh, what you and I talked about was fascinating, was that... They brought their culture with them, mm-hmm. of, course, of course, as many as many uh, immigrants do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their culture is so different from the U.S. culture in that your parents had an arranged marriage. Correct. Uh, six months later, they ended up here in the U.S. They hardly knew each other, mm-hmm. right? And they wanted to carry on that tradition mm-hmm. with you and your siblings. Absolutely. And so this was what you and I were talking about, that y- you're – your sister and your brother kind of followed suit, yes? So we all grew up pretty traditional. Yeah. And in many respects, even I am as well. Uh, you know, I've maintained my vegetarian diet. I'm mm-hmm. very involved in my spirituality. Mm-hmm. A lot of my friends come from an Indian background. Right. But where I differ is I ended up not pursuing uh, an Indian marriage. Right, so which I, was that, that something that they really wanted. You had to marry someone with a certain last name, you right. were telling me. And, right, so my parents yeah. made a list for, of all the acceptable last names that oh I, could, I could consider when I went off to college and um, never followed that, I think. Not. So they weren't, they weren't necessarily saying yeah, it has to be arranged, but we want you to marry an Indian guy. Right. So they were kind of being a little flexible. So it was like yeah. the, the new hybrid model of, immigrant, uh, of yeah. immigrants in the United right. States. And a lot, that was my experience that was very common amongst my friends, um, right. that that was the model that we were, that we were told yeah. was acceptable. And it's interesting because uh, you shared this with me, and we'll just touch on it, that, you know, they were wanting to uh, – perpetuate the arranged marriage, even though it really wasn't the perfect match for them, right? Right. Yeah, so, I mean. Uh, so it wasn't ba- it wasn't rooted in love or some kind of right. emotional connection. Yes. And for arranged marriages, a lot of, for a lot of couples, that comes later. Mm-hmm. They, they grow into that. Yes. Uh, and that is the reverse of how it's done in the American system. Right. And so growing up in the United States, it was a lot of times very confusing. Yes. Because at home, we're seeing one model. And in the media, at school, socially, we're seeing something else. Right. And totally so, different culture. And so trying to bridge that or kind of trying to figure out where I fit in. Right. It was a challenge. Especially as a rebel. Right. I, yeah. I've always been a little bit more of the black sheep in my yeah. family, like yeah. we talked about. I, I told you they say the black sheep is the best one. <laughs> Just saying. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I would know. <laughs> uh, so... Your sister and your brother both, they did an arranged marriage or they did, they married in the Indian culture? So they both married in the Indian culture. Oh, but not arranged. My brother had, I guess, I guess semi-arranged. So he, mm-hmm. um, he met his wife through, um, through the avenue of meeting a lot. He was introduced to a lot of women that matched 
the traditional model. Mm-hmm. So meaning she was a similar background. Um, right. And, and that this was- This isn't a, an online dating app, is it? No, <laughs> it's not. Uh, it should be, I, I guess. Enough it was the- Yeah, yeah you, there you should start something, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> the Indian marriage app. Yeah, there might already be something like that. I don't know. Uh, so my brother, um, my brother found his wife um, through a more traditional model, but he and she both chose each other. Mm-hmm. So they did have a choice, a little bit more right. of a choice than they did in the generation prior. So they actually felt a connection. They feel a connection, yeah. and they're very much in love. Oh, they have two beautiful nice. boys, my nephews, and, and have a wonderful relationship. And your sister, she... Uh, it wasn't arranged, but she married a, 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 an, an Indian gentleman. She married a yeah. wonderful Indian gentleman, yeah. and um, and they did fall in love. They they have also a very loving relationship. In fact, sometimes I think I love my brother-in-law more than my sister. <laughs> um, so so I guess on paper— you better you, hope she's not watching. No. <laughs> yeah. If you looked at them, uh, my brother and sister on paper, you might think um, they're much more traditional, and my husband is not Indian— Right. You uh, told me he walked into a room and you went, uh-oh. Yeah, that was honestly my first reaction because I thought that man is definitely not Indian and vegetarian and yeah. this is going to be a, a tough road ahead for me. Right, because it was such an attraction. Yeah, but it was the right one. Right. And So you said he's he's uh, an American boy? He uh, is. And he's uh, Mexican descent? He also has some Mexican and Filipino. And Filipino, well. right. Yeah. Okay. So but my da- our daughter is... Like the United Nations. Basically. But the cool thing is your parents fell in love with him. Oh, yes. Yeah. They they love yeah. him so much. And his family has really embraced me. And, and you know, we, they just see a lot of love. And I think that's ultimately what parents want for their children. Well, isn't this nice, though, that it does take the black sheep to kind of break down the barriers of let's reach across and we're all people and we're all one, you know, we're all one Absolutely. in this world. And so it really takes someone like you to step out of that box to break that barrier mm-hmm. and have them see that and embrace that. I hope so. Yeah. And, you know, we, my husband and I traveled back to India where I still have a lot of relatives. Mm-hmm. I re- it was really important to me that he got to meet my extended family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were nervous initially. They had never had a an American in their home or stay in their home right and they weren't sure if he would be comfortable if he would feel like it was uh dirty or you know they just the you know what they didn't know what he was yeah or he would complain about the food it's like any mixed marriage or gay marriage or you know they're all people are always nervous about meeting the family yes exactly if it's something out of the norm exactly yeah yeah uh but honestly they also i think left gosh he's so much better than her so, <laughs> so they really I doubt that <laughs> they really loved but, him and he really loved them yeah and he he just can't wait to get back there oh that's so nice he yeah. sounds like a wonderful man thank you I'm, I'm very lucky it is it, it is so nice that your parents uh accept it that they just wanted their child to be happy which is what I think all parents need to do Absolutely. and uh that they gave him a chance and that they embraced him I mean obviously he's a, a good guy yeah, is. isn't it all about is your child with somebody who is a good person mm-hmm. who loves your daughter or son? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, isn't that the most important thing? Absolutely. I think so. Absolutely. You know, and now that I'm a parent, I can I can relate to that. Yeah, I'm wanting that from she's she's very young, but 
yeah know, just wanting that for her too yeah it's strange how some people are just so set in their ways they want it to be this kind of person even if that person wasn't a good person you know it's like no absolutely you know it should be about love marriage should be about love completely yeah agree. yeah so that journey um it took you to the next part which is your book which being from here and India, you travel back and forth between the two a yes. lot. And tell me about this journey of you went to school and you wrote a thesis about uh, you, you wanted to start a business called medical tourism. Mm -hmm. So let's first start with, was that U USC Business School? Correct. Right? Okay. So let's tell people what medical tourism is mm -hmm. and, and about the business you had wanted to start when you initially started this journey. Sure. Yeah. So medical tourism is when Americans travel to foreign countries mm -hmm. for medical procedures that they can't afford in the United States. Right. Like kidney transplant, knee replacement, Correct. Various things, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so a lot of people do this because they can't afford it here, right? Correct. Which isn't that too sad. Like, if it can be affordable there, it should be affordable here. I, I yeah. agree with you 100%. Yeah. But, you know, I figured you would. There's a lot of, there's a lot of issues with our healthcare system, as a lot of us know. No, really? <laughs> um, I didn't know this. No, I'm just But kidding. in the world today with medical tourism, most of the procedures that are taking place are elective procedures. These are plastics, augmentation, augmentation enhancement. Right. Um, and I was much coming from a much more mission-driven perspective. Right. I wanted to help Americans that needed medically necessary procedures. Right. So my goal was to graduate and be the broker. I was going to match the American in need with the world-class hospital and the world-class surgeon abroad. And you felt uh, that you could do that knowing so much about India, like an average citizen probably wouldn't know that much about that particular country. Right. So you're thinking, oh, perfect, perfect broker. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that with the Americans, there would be some comfort seeing somebody like me who sounded like them but looked Indian, yeah. um, you know, to be able to say, hey, you need to get on this plane and travel halfway around the world to get this procedure. But, you know, I could come to them with hopefully bring some comfort and right. some ease around a very difficult decision. Right. So it was a good, good hearted mission. Yeah. It was yeah. coming from a good place. But during the course of the research that I was doing for this business plan, mm -hmm. uh, I kept coming upon stories about organ trafficking. And it seemed like every third story was about an, uh, an episode of this that happened in India. Mm -hmm. So my heart was literally breaking. As right. I'm and let's tell people what organ trafficking is. Oh, sure. Yeah. So organ trafficking is when poor people are preyed upon to either sell or directly have their kidneys stolen and sold on the black market to Westerners who need life-saving kidney transplants. Right. But people that can afford it. Correct. Yeah. So, so I'll give you some numbers. Yeah. A poor person can be promised up to $5,000 to sell their kidney. People are buying them for upwards of $100,000. <gasps> oh, my gosh. There are about wow. 10,000 documented cases of organ trafficking every single year. Oh, my gosh. And those are the and only And the awful thing ones. is not only do the poor people, like $5,000 probably is like a lifetime of savings for them. Correct. But sometimes they don't get anything. Sometimes it's stolen from them, which is, like, really eerie to even discuss. They many yeah. times never see the money or they see a fraction of it. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, they get these back alley botched surgeries. Oh, my God. So they're sent back to their village many times just really haphazardly sewn up. And somebody who maybe was able to work now is left 
suddenly even more destitute because oh, they don't gosh. even have their help. Wow, this is so sad. It's very heart-wrenching, yeah. and I feel like uh, it was important to me to tell this story because I felt like there wasn't enough awareness about this issue. Well, when you started down this road to create this business, you were not aware that this was a common practice. Correct. Yeah. I was not aware. You and must have just been, your mouth must have just been, you must have just been in awe of like, you, you I know, was just, devastated. Yeah. That how could humans do yeah. this to each right, other? Right, 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 right. And uh, fast forward to post-graduation from USC, and by coincidence, I ended up working in the kidney industry in the United States. Right, for one of the largest companies, right? Right, a very large kidney company. Mm -hmm. And uh, in my time there, you know, they do really great work for patients. They take care of a lot of patients and give them medically necessary mm -hmm. um, procedures to save their lives. Mm -hmm. This is mostly people that are on, like, dialysis? Correct. Right, so their kidneys aren't functioning properly, and this company helps them. They provide the dialysis. Dialysis. Right, uh -huh. and that's what keeps the patients alive. Mm -hmm. And they're doing tremendous work. Yeah. Uh, yet I didn't find anyone who was talking about this issue of organ trafficking. Right. And I realized that I was in a very unique position, having now worked in the American kidney industry with my background in India, having traveled there, having visited slums myself, having visited remote villages with very poor people, right. that I had really both sides of this story mm -hmm. to share. Yes. Because the Westerners that are buying these kidneys are not bad people. This is not- They don't a, even know, right? Well, I think there's no way to not know. Okay. They have to know. Right. But my point is that these people are desperate to live. Right. And when you're desperate for survival, the things that Ameri uh, humans will go through or consider doing right. for in the chance to see their daughter walk down the aisle. I see. You know, these, wow. These are good people, but they're mm -hmm. faced with really desperate circumstances. Right. So in the book, I really try to po point out both sides of this issue mm -hmm. and explore that gray matter. Now, I'm not condoning organ trafficking. Right. But the questions that it does raise are, is there place in our society for a regulated legal market for somebody who's willing to sell their organ and somebody who's willing to buy it. Yeah, that's a tough one. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, exactly. And I think most of us I guess don't. it is up to a person if they would want to do that. But then I feel like it takes advantage of uh, of people that are in a poverty situation. I, it's very, you know, I feel like someone might sell it to for, for their drug habit or something, and that would be sad. And how do you correlate or coordinate between the two? You know, how do you, how do you, you know? Exactly. Yeah, and that's so, a dilemma. So it's a dilemma. It feels wrong. And that's and that's what I want my readers to think about when they read my book. Right. That's what I want them to consider. So you give both sides of the story. I really try to provide a balanced perspective, not good right. versus bad. You know, America is bad, India is good, or vice versa. Mm -hmm. This is not so didactic. This, right. This is really to get my readers to ask themselves these important questions. Right. It's kind of like... Um, you know, should be a, people be able to take their life if they're terminally ill? I mean, it's that kind of a question like we don't know. Exactly. Different people have different moral values about that. And then so also what's right and what's wrong. And what precedent are we setting? Mm -hmm. What do we open the door to that we right. can't foresee? Right, right. So the book is fiction based on oh. a decade of true stories. Oh, I see. So it's written as a thriller, and it's great beach reading. Right. Uh, it's written to... Uh, appeal to the masses and 
that was intentional on my part versus writing nonfiction Mm -hmm. because I really wanted this to be something that everyone who likes to read would consider picking up. That seems like a smart choice. Yeah. And it's called A Girl in Traffic with a K. Correct. Yeah. With a CK. With a CK. CK. Yes. I didn't want people to think I was talking about a girl stuck on the 405 freeway. (laughs) (laughs) Or we won't even go down the other path. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it absolutely is about organ trafficking because, let's face it, human trafficking is a whole other sad story. Absolutely. Yeah. And I really – and sorry, just – um, I really want to expand the definition of human trafficking because organ trafficking is definitely a type of human trafficking. Yeah, you know, it is, today isn't when, it? Today when we talk about human trafficking, that's correlated with sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. We're synonymous with sex trafficking. Especially if they're taking the organs and not paying the people. I mean, that's even exactly. – I mean, that's as low as it goes. Exactly. Yeah, that's so just I think hideous. That it, I think it's important to expand that definition in people's yeah. minds to include organ trafficking. I think you're right. That's a good thing for us to educate people on today. And uh, one of the cool things you told me is – is that it looks like you, you know of an entity that is creating um, artificial kidneys. And so this could put an end to this. Uh, by the year 2020, you were telling me, who is it that's developing that? Yeah, so a group of engineers out of UC San Francisco, led mm. by Dr. Shuvo Roy, who's now become a very good friend of mine, his team is developing the world's first artificial kidney. And I think that I sent your team a picture of the, of the little gadget, if you want to show that. Mm-hmm. It it could essentially eradicate uh, or significantly put a dent in the world of organ trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was no demand, then there wouldn't be the supply. You know, this is an economics issue. Right, right. And so if we can put a dent in the demand that's needed for trafficked organs sure. with an artificial kidney, yes. then there is potential over time to significantly diminish the amount of trafficked organs that's right that are taken that makes sense my only concern would be if we create that here in the united states will they charge so much for the artificial that it doesn't even make a difference in the trafficking that's that's an issue isn't it it is an issue and and so lots lots to still be determined right but i think the first step is knowing that there is a team focused on this Mm -hmm. and they're getting uh so far, their testing has gone very well. They're continuing Good. to plug along. That's very positive. It's very positive. Yeah. And, and that people that could afford it would go this route as opposed to the other route that they know isn't right. Correct. Yeah. And we don't know what the pricing around it might look like right, or right. how insurance will embrace it, yep. et cetera. So, so there, there is a lot of hope. And, yeah. and that is important for readers to take away yes. instead of just hearing organ trafficking. This is so depressing. Right. There's a, a possible solution. There's a possible solution. And in the interim, if my book can motivate one person to consider donating their organs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, when you at least in California, when you sign up for a driver's license mm-hmm. and many other states, they ask if you want to be an organ donor. Could we solve this problem if everyone in the United States donated their organs? And this is you mean when you pass away? Uh, it can be a living donor or oh. when you're deceased. All right. Uh, okay. So we're born with two kidneys. Right. Uh, most people only need one to survive mm-hmm. or to live, I should say. Right. Uh, live a healthy life. Um, but there are risks to donating, so I don't want to diminish that You know, right. it's just perfectly efficacious to go out and donate your kidney. Right. It's a case-by-case situation. Can you... Uh can you donate it when you pass away? Is it still useful or... There are a lot of... Uh, yes, mm-hmm. um, but... You have to um, identify yourself as a registered donor mm-hmm. for um, for the organs to uh, 
to make it to a team in time. Th- in time, right? So the oh. lifespan of them is very short, right? But it is possible. It is possible. Oh, I think that's great for people to understand. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing I love that you told me that I think will inspire our listeners is that you quit your high-paying job to go and spend a year writing this book, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And uh, I think there's a lot of people out there saying that, I, that they have a book in them, and mm-hmm. I think it was very courageous and bold of you to do that, but look how great it's turned out. It's something now that you're, you're you know, it's uh, um, a legacy. You're helping change the world and make it a better place. Thank and you. Uh, doing shows like this to let people know about it. Um, if you hadn't written this book, a lot of people wouldn't know about it. So it, it was bold for you to do that. And you. maybe you could share with people how that felt and how you did that. And Sure. So, you know, like many people, uh, we're in, stuck in corporate jobs and trying to find ourselves and mm-hmm. where do we fit in. And <clears throat> growing up, there were a lot of expectations placed on me about what I should be doing, how mm-hmm. I should be doing it, what I should be earning, what my title should be. And I just never fit quite uh, accurately into those boxes. Right. And it was kind of at the peak of my misery in corporate America that I just said, I just don't want to do this anymore. Right. And I had already had the idea for the book, but really no time or energy to focus on it because I was just so unhappy. And I think there's one or two people at least out there (laughs) that are totally resonating with this story. I hope so. Well, I hope you're not miserable, but I hope you can (laughs) resonate with my story. Hey, sometimes being miserable is a good thing because it pushes you in a new direction. And that was true for me. And, you know, very thankfully, I had the support of my husband who said, you have this incredible story. Just quit your job and just focus on this. You know, I had somebody over the weekend. I was at a retreat, and uh, she said, that uh, she did this with her husband. She knew he was a fantastic writer, and she said, hey, I want you to take the time off to, to do this, stop bartending or whatever he was mm-hmm. doing. I'll support us and while well, you do this. And he's like, no, I couldn't do that. And, and he did, and now he's a famous writer. Wow. And so we do need to get behind our partners and our loved ones and let them do what their gifts are Absolutely. to let them fly, and then it, it benefits both. So Absolutely. that's a good message for us to put out there, right? I agree with you yeah. 100%. And that was exactly my situation. Yeah. continues to be. Wonderful. So, so I took three years to write the book. With this now I really history. like him. Yes. He's so <laughs> wonderful. And it's been, it's been wonderful. It's been such an incredible journey. And, yeah. you know, it almost was a calling. I didn't have a choice but to write this book. Right. You know, so many people say that, that, that do something like write a song or write a book or write a play or a screenplay or whatever. They just say, I didn't have a choice. This was in me. And that's how people should tap into their gifts. If it's something inside of you that is so strong like that, mm-hmm. that you say, I, I just don't have a choice, uh, then you know it's why you're here on the earth. Absolutely. Thank you for this work that you've done and your book. And I hope people pick it up and read it at the beach, as you suggested. Thank you. A Girl in Traffic. It's a a wonderful way to um, educate oneself. But um, I just think it's something people should not only read themselves, but share with other people because we want that information out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Okay. We'll see you soon. And uh, we will be right back with Paula Chichochi. The Live, Love, Thrive radio show is produced by 360karma.com. Are you a 360 Karma woman? If so, spread the word. Be sure to follow us on social media at 360 Karma Women on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please like us and share us with family and friends. This is the year of the woman, and we are stronger together. 
The Live, Love, Thrive program is brought to you in part by Honda of downtown Los Angeles, supporting the equality and empowerment of women. there I, I couldn't hear it but uh, we're back <laughs> surprise we're back with Paula Chichochi hopefully I said your name right you well it, I'm, I'm, at least, I'm probably you. close but like <laughs> not close. quite it's yeah Kiyoki Kiyoki yeah. okay Kiyoki I hope you don't ever do karaoke we'd have no, a heck of a time yeah, saying Kiyoki's doing karaoke oh my so we are back with the CEO of Outward Media I'm so happy to have you here today you. Paula I'm just going to call you Paula That's let's good. just keep it simple <laughs> I'm excited to be here I love what you're doing yeah. too oh women. thank you thank you you know what all of us all of the women business owners are empowering other women because we're empowering them to be business owners yes. you know but um, I, I know you were born in uh, uh, Ohio, Ohio. Ohio. Okay, yes. we won't hold it against no, you. No, I know. I won't hold it against my parents. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so you ended up here in LA in the eighties. Yes. Okay. 80s. So uh, when you were like two. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll just keep it at that. <laughs> but uh, so tell me about your journey because I know your parents moved around a lot, right? Yes. Or, yeah. My dad was in the I Air remember Force. that. Yeah. So we did move around a lot, and um, part of that moving caused you to uproot go to a new city, meet new people, and kind of start over again, which was a little hard as a child, but right. then as an adult, I think it helps you be more flexible in yeah. making right turns, left turns, or which, you know, whichever way you need to go. It's so interesting because I read an article once that most people, and I could have sworn it said like 80%, stay in the hometown they were born in. Never move. And yet I have so many people on my show that have this story of as as a child they moved all over the place and how hard it was to readjust and meet new mm-hmm. friends and resiliency and I guess most of them are military families not all of them not have all. been but um, I think yeah. maybe it's a function of where we live you know we're in Los Angeles yeah so maybe people migrate here and that could I think, be I think if you more in the rural areas. They yeah, don't, they don't leave. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. like if we're yeah. in the Midwest, yeah. they probably stay put. And, yeah, that's right. You know, I Texas and things like that. Yeah, I think maybe you're right. I so might be wrong. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's it. Hey, you're a smart woman. I think you just figured it out. Uh, so no wonder I have so many people on this show. Uh, but um, so that. But the good thing is that gave you a resiliency, yes. right? Big and time. it must be great in yeah. business today to have uh, accumulated those skills as a child, really, to be able to just yes. walk in and meet people and make friends. And Yes. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember, or did you have uh, one of those clowns growing up that you could hit it and it would hit the floor and bounce back yeah, up? Yeah, I don't a, know if I had one, but I've we seen did. them. Yeah. We a family of six. Yeah. And I, I felt like the clown a lot of the time. You hit it, knock them, I keep getting back up. I right. keep getting right. back up. <laughs> well, you know, they say it's not how many times you fall down, it's how yeah. many times you get up. Yep. I'm a big advocate yeah, of that. Me too. Yeah. 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 I like that saying. So resilience is very important, I think. Yeah. To be a business owner. So then uh, progress into your life. Like, I want to know the journey to how you became the CEO of Outward Media, which is an extremely successful 
marketing company yes. and we're going to talk about what you do and how you gr help grow businesses because it's very important but Thank you me. really started in a very male-oriented industry in a yes. time that sexual harassment was like uh, okay and 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 prejudice of women yeah. was okay and nobody paid any mind to it and swept it under the carpet and yeah. I know you were telling me about this journey so let's share that well, with our listeners who either identify with that or aren't aware of it I, I can imagine most of them identify with it having been around our age well I ended up uh, right out of college in corporate America and mm -hmm. fortune 1000 land I call it um, and probably spent about 11 years there mm -hmm and in a, a sales-oriented ori environment. And um, definitely the prejudices were there in terms of the women weren't treated as well as the men. Mm -hmm. And certainly I wasn't. And mm -hmm. I had and moved, paid less. Paid and, less, yeah. given less opportunity uh, right. in the environment to sell more and make more. Mm -hmm. I remember you telling yeah. me that one got an advancement and they told you because he had uh, a wife and kids. Yeah. And yeah, they, that, they, they needed that, the money more than I did. Right. And that yeah. used to be like the norm back then. Yeah. People would literally say that. Yes. You know, and like, was, oh, well, he's a no, man and yes. he has a wife and kids. Yes. And and so therefore, that's why he got the raise and you didn't like yes. that was like that was yeah. normal. Yeah. Well, I think I maybe, mean, can you imagine someone saying that no, today? today. Oh, oh, my gosh. No. Well, and I think, too, it was also even though it's you know what? It's it's done, but not said today. Yeah, it's probably behind the scenes. Yeah. 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 Give it to him, not her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and and then, you know, that to me was wrong. And I thought, you know, I well, was, yeah, my father raised me to be independent more so than my mother. But yeah. uh, he raised me to be independent and do what I wanted to do. Speak up. Don't yeah. Take a back seat. Yeah. You had an unusual yeah. father from my conversation. I'm with a you. baby boomer. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. but for him to like really be in your court and say yes. you can do anything yes. you want. And I mean, that had to really impact the fact that you didn't see the barriers and you went for You're it. Right. You know, I so didn't think I had the barriers. kudos to him. And he was um, progressive. Because, you know, baby boomers, we were kind of taught to go to school and get the MRS yeah. degree, yeah. right? Now, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but uh, uh, even though he was in your court and he was like mm -hmm. a woman advocate, mm -hmm. but he was like the typical guy. You were telling me mm -hmm. the marriage kind of a runaround and, you know. Typical you know, guy, I, I right? You know, I don't really know. Oh, you don't he, know? Because he was okay. a, a pilot, so he was gone all the time. Oh, Could right, be. right, right. I don't know. We'll just My speculate. mom will swear no. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. I think being being taught that uh, I could be the best at anything I wanted to be, but just do it. Get up every day, look yourself right. in the mirror, and say, I'm done the best I did today. You know what? I hope our culture uh, really gets behind women, or, or not women, children. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I hope it starts this whole women's revolution that we see going on right now. And the feminist movement that includes the men. Mm -hmm. You saw that women's mm -hmm. march. It was mm -hmm. more than, it was like at least half men mm -hmm. because they really are wanting to get behind their daughters, their sisters, yes. their wives, um, their finally. friends. <laughs> yeah, finally, right. And it's really cool that they're doing that. Um, and and it, it's nice to see that because your father was actually obviously one of those one of those men back then. But now you see more of it. It's more prevalent. I see that with the yeah. friends I have that have children. They're definitely raising their daughter different than the average yeah. family back when I was growing up. But right. Uh, but it is important. It does start in the home. And, and then I hear a lot, too, about uh, people are and I say our age because we're like mm -hmm. midlife mm -hmm. uh, uh, that. Um, you know, they grew up where the mother uh, gave up their career mm -hmm. to, to be a caretaker, much like your mom, yeah. right? And, yeah, she, and she took off about 20 years. Right. Yeah. And so that generation uh, looks at those women. My, my mom actually was a, a, a partner in my dad's business, so okay. she actually was very prevalent in his 
business and he wouldn't be who he was without my mom. But I know it's a rare uh, story that most of the time the women took off, raised the kids, which is the most one of the most important jobs. Sure. Um, but then at the end, you, we saw all these women getting left in their mm -hmm. midlife mm -hmm. with the husband taking all the money he'd yeah, earned yeah. and leaving them high and dry. And we all witnessed that. Yes. And so it changed, it changed the culture tremendously by that big divorce thing that went on in the uh, the baby boomers parents and, and and women realizing wait a minute I don't want that to be right. me so so that well, was I, actually I, a good cultural change that came out of that and I know, had that experience avalanche. because my dad died when I was 21 and my mom didn't know what to do right she didn't know anything about the finances she didn't know where any of them not he wasn't hiding money or anything right. but she just didn't have the bank account she, right. she didn't know and I thought I'm not going to be like that right I'm going to take charge of my life and make sure whatever happens to me that I know where everything is and right. I do everything and then when I got divorced you know I, I was the one who managed the divorce and made sure I got you know my share and mm -hmm. even though it's an ugly thing to go through right but, uh, right but yeah, I think yeah because that that being married for a hundred years or whatever and then dying just doesn't exist anymore. Right. Some people, I'm sure you know, people have been on their third marriage. Oh yeah. Right. So did you marry someone similar to your dad that you lost at a young age? I think more similar to him than my mother. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because I would think if you lost your dad at a young age, and a lot of people probably listening probably relate to this, because mm -hmm. a lot of them have lost parents mm -hmm. at a young age. It's kind of it's a hard. common thing. Yeah, it is very hard. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine. You must have been devastated. For about a year. Easily, yeah. easily was depressed for over a year. Yeah. 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 But, but but I always think to myself, well, you know, he sees how well I'm doing. He's, you know, I look at it that way, I'm too. Yeah, yeah, I've lost yeah. both of my parents, but I do feel they're here with me, and mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do feel like uh, sort of like they can do more for you where mm -hmm. they're at than they could even here, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. You know. It does. It does, sense. right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, a, a loss at a young age is a traumatic thing. And, but I always look at um, – how people use the obstacles that they had to overcome. And so you use them for the good. You yes. lost your dad at a young age. Mm -hmm. You went through your tough divorce. Mm -hmm. But those things, uh, just like the traveling, mm -hmm. made you uh, resilient and stronger than mm -hmm. ever to become this very successful businesswoman in, a, uh, in an arena that, like most industries, mm -hmm. is very male-dominated. Right. Mm -hmm. So you finally decided, the heck with this corporate America mm -hmm that's being prejudiced toward men, I'll go start my own, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, so tell I, me that I, story. Actually, I had two detours before I did that. I um, went into real estate sales, and okay. then I also did a, I was a stockbroker for a while, but I, I didn't feel like I was building anything. I felt right. like it was a transactional business, and I wanted right. to build something from the ground up. Right. So I literally started at my dining room table. And yeah. You know, the best yeah. businesses are started at the dining room table because... HP was started yeah, at the dining room yeah, table. Yeah, because people have no overhead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it really does make perfect sense. Most right. of the people I've seen that are really successful did start without an office, mm -hmm. without a staff. You know, it's really great advice. And build it. Yeah. Build it. And 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 it, it, back to what you said earlier, it does take a lot of resilience and, and drive. You have to have the drive. You have to have the fire. Yeah. The Being an entrepreneur is not easy. Mm -hmm. It's one of the most exciting, but one of the hardest things anyone will ever do. And anyone who is an entrepreneur knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And aspiring entrepreneurs, because one of the things I like to do as well is talk to younger women that are looking to go into business. Right. And be, be a connector for them so they yes. can meet other people so they can have less hurdles to jump over than, say, I had because right. – 
they're, they're being connected faster. You are an awesome connector. Uh, yeah, yay. I know you've already connected me to some yeah. amazing women, and uh, it's wonderful when that's a gift. It's something mm -hmm. I enjoy doing, too. Mm -hmm. I, I find there's a lot of joy in connecting people. It doesn't cost anything. Mm -hmm. no. I don't know why more people don't do it. It's so easy. It I know easy. this person. They could use the help of that person. Why not put them together? I want to perpetuate that through well, my Matma. platform and show. And, well, Matma, not, yeah. Ma Matma. 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 Yeah. I just had the discussion before you had her on. Uh, because you had a previous guest, Deborah Shames, yes. written a book. Yes. And I'm going to connect the two of them for her to talk to her about how she marketed her book. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. it's so easy, isn't mm -hmm. it? It is. And uh, <laughs> it brings you a lot of joy. It does know. for me. Yeah, for mm -hmm. me too. Mm -hmm. I think even more joy than the people you actually connect. Do it for. It, it, yeah. yeah, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and I think usually if you put yourself out, more reward comes. That's the yeah. that's what I call the 360 yeah. karma. Ah, is that right? how the name came into being? Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> I, I do believe it perpetuates it. I help you, you help them, yeah. they help someone else, and it and just so keeps on and perpetuating. So on and so on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, paying it forward. Paying it forward. Yeah, it's, it's it's important. Yeah, and we want to develop a culture where women are helping women. Because typically they haven't. I mean, you know, being again, being a baby boomer, right. when, I, when I was in the workforce, they were the women were competing. And the yeah, men, even if they couldn't stand each other, they, right. would get a project done yeah. and then go back to not liking each other after the project was you done. You know, I always say I, they have an old boys club. Uh -huh. We need the same thing, but no one wants to belong to the old girls yeah, club. Right. So I call it the bold girls club. <laughs> okay, I like that. That we can deal with, I right? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> you should that. I know. It's, it's, but it's so true. I mean... Mm -hmm. Uh, we do, ha just like the guys, we have to be there for mm -hmm. each other and help mm -hmm. each other. And not th see ourselves as being competitive. Yes. More towards helping for the greater good. Yeah. yeah. We are a big voice in America. Right. And we, people we, we can be a voting block in America. Oh, I mean, my gosh. A, power. So powerful. Yeah. I oh. think actually that there's a, a sector, there's a sector of men that are feminists that are behind us, mm -hmm. and there's a sector that don't want women rising to the top, obviously, yeah. Yeah. because they know they're powerful. Yes. And they do bring something different to the table. Yes. Women bring something different to the table than men. Yes. And it's a good thing. And both are needed at the yes, table. Yes, I agree. And if you look at, uh, like I've said a million times, the Congress, the Senate, uh, any industry, whether it be automotive or tech, uh, there's way more men at the decision-making mm -hmm. table. If we would balance that out by population, uh, mm -hmm. they'd be bringing a lot of great brains and ideas and concepts to the table in a different way, because women do present things in a different way. This is true. Uh, they reach across the aisle. They're yes. more bigger picture. Uh, most companies that have more uh, women at the top are actually more, more successful. successful. So if I research, think it's a secret still. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know somebody that uh, their entity is actually uh, going to corporations around the country and showing them that research. That's so awesome. they're trying to educate companies on that fact mm -hmm. that that's true. When there's more balance at the table mm -hmm. of men and women at the top, those companies are more profitable. Let's I have talk, read that. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about exactly what your company does. So Outward Media, yes. tell, t like for somebody who is a business owner, entrepreneur, yes. uh, tell them what you do to help grow businesses. Okay. So we're, we're database marketers. That's what we're commonly known as. Mm -hmm. And so we have a database. People of, are glossing over right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That, I'm going to amplify. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So it, basically we have like, databases. what is that? I know. Yeah. We have databases on all the businesses in the United States and the consumers in the United all States. All the businesses yes. and all the consumers. Yes. Wow. Yes. Big database. Yeah. Big that's, data. That's powerful. And you're one of the top ones in this niche, right? Yes. There's, there's three. They're Only the three? Yeah. Wow. That are more known. 
Yeah. Uh, so we, uh, our core competency is helping companies find uh, new business in the email channel. Right. So we uh, execute, we build databases for companies, and then we actually execute, do the campaign management for them, deliver the emails, wow. do the reporting, and help so, them grow their revenue. So like, uh, I know you mentioned you have some clients that are in like telecom industry. Mm -hmm. They come to you and they say, Paula, uh, we want to get a message out to more consumers or businesses, Either one. Mm -hmm. uh, and you help them with that database. Yes. Like you help them build that we database. We build the database, right. and then we license it, and then, and then uh, we actually they do their own creative work. But so they, they could say to you, uh, we want to reach people in Peoria yes. or Los Angeles yes. or wherever. And you send email blasts out to people in that demographic yes. that they want, 40 plus. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Or types of businesses. In particular, we have a, a strong uh, small business database. And uh -huh. the small businesses convert an email better than, say, enterprise companies. Because uh, uh -huh. a small businessman or woman right. is uh, wearing multiple hats. Right. And uh, if the offer or the content that they're receiving is something that would help them with their business, right. then they, they, they respond better than right. trying to uh, send an email to the CEO of Exxon. I mean, you know, right. it's not going to get to them. <laughs> right. So small so. business owners are the most likely to respond yes. more so than the heads of major corporations yes. or consumers. No, on the consumer side, uh, you can get good response as well, uh -huh. but the response rates on consumer side are a little bit lower than uh, business side because they're inundated so much more with right. uh, email. Yeah, gee, I get no email marketing. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Did you opt out of everything? <laughs> I send it all to one email. <laughs> and then Does everyone it. do that? No. <laughs> Some people do. Like merge it into a Gmail account. You know what? I think you're right, though. As a business owner myself, I think I would look more likely at something that would help grow my business mm -hmm. than, you know, yeah. buying you know, new clothes or yeah, exactly. tea or something exactly. like that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that makes sense. They're always looking for things to help yeah. them be better in their business. So what is it that you love about what you do? When it works. I mean, it's just yeah. so much fun. It's so much uh, We have one client over the last uh, four years that we've taken their revenue from $28 million to $55 million last year. Wow. So in a four-year period, we were able to get it that high. And that's that's exciting. That's great. Yeah. If you can get me to $54 million, I'm signing up Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Will it take a couple weeks? <laughs> no, you. <laughs> but that's exciting. That's very us. exciting. But at the same time, we also, I'm very passionate about entrepreneurs. So yes. Uh, like uh, smaller companies, I mean, you know, you have five, ten employees, but if mm -hmm. they have a good product and they've got a little bit, little bit of funding behind them, then yeah. usually we'll discount for the for entrepreneurial companies right. to try to help them get to market faster. I love that. that. passion from entrepreneurs. Yeah, I used to do uh, cable television advertising, mm -hmm. and uh, I relate to what you're mm -hmm. saying. It's so exciting to help a small business grow mm -hmm. and to see them flourish yes. and say, hey, my business grew 20% mm -hmm. or whatever, and, and they know that you had it. something to do with it. Yeah, And uh, they even appreciate it maybe more. I think more. Because it's their money coming out of their pocket yeah. versus a corporate you know, right. Well, and it's a big deal for mm -hmm. a small company to grow itself. We, we know as entrepreneurs mm -hmm. how hard it is it to is do hard. a new business, you know. Very hard. Yeah, a very small percentage of them, you know, continue on. But the good news is, is that those failed businesses, people usually learn from it. Once mm -hmm. an entrepreneur, always, always an, entrepreneur. an entrepreneur. So you can just take those failures mm -hmm. and just learn from them, and they'll probably go on and start the next business, mm -hmm. and eventually they'll get one that's well, a you bring success. up a, a good point because when I started the business in 1998, there was no email marketing. Oh, wow. So in order to stay alive, shall we yeah. say, as a business, there's been like three 
m- morphing of the oh, company. Oh, yeah. So we started out in direct mail because that's all there was. Yeah. And then the internet media came on and email came on. So we, um, I try to say at least six months to a year ahead of what's going on in the marketplace right, right. if I yeah. can. Yeah. And so we morphed into email in 2004 and started building the databases wow. from there. So. And it is the businesses that keep... Uh, growing with the times and changing and to. shifting that make it. Yes. Uh, look at the I'll ones think that. Think of Kodak. Yeah, the Kodak's perfect example. Yeah. Yep. If they don't adapt, Who they die. Who would have thought that? Who'd have thunk? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter how big or small. Mm-hmm. You have to adapt. You have to, and you have to yeah. be innovating. And I think that's uh, where you're bringing uh, having millennials also work for you help. Yeah. Uh, oh you know, yeah. I have yeah. some millennials yes. in my team, and I'm They're grateful for them. They're that's on right. the technology. They know what the next thing is. Yeah. Know, so they bring a lot to the table. Oh yeah. So outwardmedia.com is how yes. people could reach out and get a consultation and see if or it's a good fit for them. They can email me directly. It's Paula at outwardmedia.com. Okay, yeah. great. You might even get a date. And I <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought this was a woman's chat. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> that was a good one. Paula, uh, it's such yeah, a pleasure such talking a pleasure to you. you. I love awesome your woman. energy, and I love you. uh, that you're helping grow businesses and yeah. just keep, you know, mentoring Thank other you. young women. I think you're amazing. Thank you. So are you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, ladies, we will be back next week, uh, and we have other uh, amazing women that will be on. So don't forget to tune in next Wednesday at noon here on UBN. We will see you next week. Thanks so much. Hugs and happiness.